From Tally to Cali, it's time to wake up. Warchant.com is your ultimate seminal sports source. And this is Wake Up Warchant, presented by Corner Pocket Bar and Grill. One Pocket. Now here's Warchant.com's ass on Hunch of Andy and Corey Clark. Wake up! What is up, everybody? It's Wake Up War Champ, presented by the Corner Pocket Bar and Grill. Coming up on today's show, practice observations with Tate Rodemaker at the helm for Florida State. A Florida preview with Nick Delatore of Gators Online. And reaction to Florida State dropping one spot outside the top four in the college football playoff. Wake Up War Champ, presented by the Corner Pocket Bar and Grill, Tallahassee, Florida, cptallybar.com, the website. You can always hit the QR code on your screen. Go right to the website. You can put your order to go. Check out the menu, but I'm here to read you the menu. Wednesdays, five-piece chicken wings and french fries. That's your lunch special, $8.99. Go check it out. Take advantage. And don't forget tomorrow, trivia, or sorry, bingo night. I'll get it right one of these times, Corey. Bingo night, Thursdays at the CP. No, no. It's Thanksgiving, buddy. So, oh, it uh, is. Cor- corner pocket is closed. <laughs> there is no bingo. I have no family. No one loves yeah. me, so I don't realize that Thursday is Thanksgiving. But we're going to give you five shows this week, everybody. So who loves you? Who loves you? All right, just want to get Corey on here because it's going to be a weird show for your Wednesday. It's going to be kind of maybe some dispersed pieces all kind of all put together, but people want to know probably how did practice look on Tuesday, Corey Clark? So I open the floor to you. How did practice on Tuesday look to you? Um, you know, it, it seemed a little different, but I think they did more scout team work than normal, uh, in my way. opinion. Yeah, um, they, they did very little uh, team stuff, uh, good on good. I don't think they did any seven on seven good on good. Um, they did a little bit of 11 on 11 and then, um, they did one-on-ones, which we'll get to Keon Coleman in a second. Um, and then they did the, the two minute drill to start the practice. And that wasn't great. Uh, you know, Tate, uh, kind of, they, I think they had a screen, they had a screen called and it was kind of blown up by the defense. So he had to throw the ball away. And then the next one, he forced one downfield to Jaheim that was intercepted by Azarie, uh, where Jaheim didn't really even have a chance at it. And Azaria um, was almost like playing safety on that. Like he was like the yeah, secondary it was, uh, guy over. It, it was. It was interesting. I was wondering that too. Like, what would he even be doing over there? But yeah, he uh, made a great break on the ball, and uh, you know he's he's really been good all year, honestly. Um, and then uh, in practice and in games, and then uh, and then we go to what eleven on eleven. Tate hit Johnny for about twenty yards down the down the left sideline. For for the way it works is. I feel like at least on on Tuesday it felt like the second team defense versus the first team offense and vice versa. So Tate was going up against the second team defense and he immediately noticed uh, a breakdown or a, a, a miscommunication, hit Johnny for about a 20-yard gain down the left sideline. Could have gone for a touchdown, I don't know. He would have had to make a guy miss or throw him off him. And then the very next play hit Keon for about 25 yards in the middle of the field. Did a good job of hanging in and then making the throw. Um, and then they ran the ball a couple times. And that was it, really, for 11-on-11. 11 11. Um, he made really good throws in scout team. I don't know how much stock to put into it. I do know there was one play. Ira pointed it out to me, and then I watched it on replay. It was a – I think it was about – maybe it was like a 30-yard shot to Keon against the scout team where right afterwards Tokars comes up and gives him a, like, gives him a huge high five. Like, is really excited. It, it wasn't like it was an incredible throw. It, I think it's the decision. 
when he saw it, when he pulled the trigger. But Tokars was really excited about that play. Um, he got a, a few more thumbs up from Norvell throughout the scout team stuff. Hit Johnny for a couple of big shots. Hit Keon for some big shots. Hit Ja'Kai for like a 40-yard touchdown. But again, that's all against scout team. Um, but looked good. Didn't look confused. But, you know, he's going up against walk-ons and third stringers. Brock Glenn, I thought, had a nice day, man. Um, in 11 on 11, I think I think I had him for like, he was like five out of six. Uh, threw a really nice ball to Kintron, threw a really nice ball to uh, uh, Darion for completions, and then uh, hit Toa Feely down the sideline um, early in 11-on-11 for like a 35-yard gain. Just a huge play, a big play. And the kid, the kid just looks like he's composed, like he sees it. You know, he, I, I, he just looks composed. And I've said that since he got here in the spring, right, Aslan? He just he looks like it's not too much for him. Now, if he has to go in an emergency Saturday night and swamp, don't expect him to look as poised as he does in the IPF on a Tuesday afternoon with nobody watching. But he just he he comports himself so well in the pocket. Seems to have a feel, uh, just kind of why you know wise beyond his years. And now that he's back, because as Norvell talked about after practice on Tuesday, um, he was out for a good while this season. Um, he's back and he's starting. You can see the progression coming. Um, so we know it's a really big three weeks for Tate. It's a really big three weeks for Brock Glenn, too, because he's getting second-string reps now as opposed to third-string reps. He's getting more reps. So he his development should should really take off, I think. He's just going to get more reps with good players. Yeah, I don't know that I don't know that Brock Glenn's thrown a pass to Keon Coleman all year. Because right. why would he? You know, yeah. but but he is now. So that's that's a good that's a good piece for development. And then speaking of, so I've never seen this reaction from Mike Norvell. Did you see the play that I'm about to talk about? The I want to ask Norvell. No, I was about? getting ready to like walk and like go downstairs to get to the field because we were watching from Hauser when this happened. But yeah, go ahead, listen. Well, so they it. throw they throw a uh, I think it was Tate that threw. It's about a 40 yard pass down the right sideline. It's Keon versus Greedy. Keon, they both jump up for it. He, picture like the Syracuse play where he kind of backhands the ball one-handed, but he goes straight up and does it almost on Greedy's helmet. Like he almost traps it against his helmet, like pumps it against his helmet, and then pulls it back off and just holds the ball. Um, and Norvell, who's standing right there, you know that emoji where you put – it's like the Macaulay Culkin thing where the hands go on the side of the face and the <laughs> mouth is agape. Yeah. That's what Norvell did. Like literally, his hands went to the side of his face, and then he, like he, uh, he uh, kind of didn't kneel down, but bent over, almost like in stunned. Like I can't believe I just saw that. What did he say after practice? It was stupid. The catch it was, was stupid. stupid. That's what he, he just said. It was stupid. And then Vandravius Jacob lets out this barbaric yawp, um, <laughs> just like it, like they had just won the national championship, and starts screaming, racing over to Keon. The whole offense starts racing over to Keon. I don't know if Vandravius was excited about the catch or excited to make fun of Greedy. It was hard to tell. <laughs> but it was and Keon the whole time is just standing there. Like didn't show any emotion, didn't do any celebrations, just like, yeah, that's what I do. Um, that was a that was a really funny, fun moment um in in practice on Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Fitzgerald missed the field goal in period three. But mm-hmm. uh later on in practice drilled. I mean, that would be that might have been some of the most you know, velocity-filled shots of his career we've seen out there. He boomed some shots. Yeah, he uh, hit a 43-yarder that hit, on, on t- like, at the top of the building. Uh, like, it didn't get to the roof, 
but it hit the top of the back wall. Like, I mean, it would have been good from 55 yards easily. Yeah. I mean, he crushed that thing. He's he's taking squat day seriously now, oh, I feel like. There we go. He's really getting up in there. Yeah, I mean, he looks like, well, I was going to say the Miami kid, but nobody has a leg like that kid. Did you see him on – they lost the game. I don't know if we've talked about that. Uh, they're 6-5 and five now. T- another tough loss for the Canes. <laughs> another one-score loss. They keep finding a way to do that. But he kicked a – I think it tied the game at 31. He, it was like a 51-yarder that hit two-thirds of the way up on the net, right yeah. down the middle. Unbelievable leg. Yeah. I hope he's done, man. Is he, has he got another two years, or does he have a little younger brother? They're just going to keep rolling through Coral Gables. But, yeah, I, I thought Norvell seemed really pleased with the practice on, on the whole. Um, and who knows? He did, He also made fun of us that none of us were over there watching the defense against scout team. Um, you know, he, he made fun of us twice for that. And it's like, well, yeah, man, you're, you know, you're kind of breaking in a new quarterback. We want to see how it looks. But he seemed pretty um, happy with the energy and the attitude of the practice overall. Yeah. All right, that's talking practice with Corey Clark, everybody. Give it up. You're welcome, everyone. Have a great Thanksgiving. And, hey, we would be remiss. Uh, we got some flexibility in the way we're recording this show. Corey is gone now, everybody. He'll be back, though, shows for the rest of the week. Um, shout out to Leonard Hamilton and the Florida State basketball team. Jameer Watkins, we see you. Jalen Worley, we see you. Both those guys go 7 of 11 from the field. 19 for Worley, 18 for Jameer Watkins, and a 77 to 71 Overtime win for Florida State. So they they keep stacking these overtime wins. I don't have the number in front of me. I think later on the show we'll have uh, the college football reaction show replay, and Tom Lang lays out the stat, whatever, that Florida State does in the overtime periods. It's ridiculous. Uh, But big win over Colorado. I think 18th-ranked Colorado team. Florida State wins uh, the Sunshine Slam. So they already got a championship under their belt. Corey tweeted this. Best win in a good long while. Awesome to see. Last year, this team was 2-10 in the non-conference. They're already 4-1 with a top 25 dub. Get that tourney train out of the depot. That sounds pretty cool, right? So, shout out to the Knowles. Uh, Big win. We would give them vitamin energy to celebrate if we were in the locker room with them right now. I'm sure they're dousing themselves in champagne or probably drying off and uh, getting back to Tallahassee, but... They probably had vitamin energy coursing through their veins. You should have vitamin energy coursing through your veins, and you can buy one and get one free. Great time to start doing some shopping online, too. Ease of use. Just go online to vitaminenergy.com. Put the promo code WARCHAMPBOGO, WARCHAMPBOGO, right there into the field for the promo, and you'll buy one item. You'll get one of equal lesser value for absolutely free. The world's first and only clinically proven energy shot. Vitamins, energy, nutrients, antioxidants, all in one little bottle, 1.93 fluid ounces. You can carry it everywhere. I've got some in the gym bag, some in the console of the car, some in the camera bag. I flip it to Ira and Corey. I'm like, hey, product placement, product placement in the Vitamin Energy War Chant Wrap. So there's Knowles behind the scenes supporting that company and supporting us. So check them out. VitaminEnergy.com, shake it and take it. Promo code WARCHANTBOGO, B-O-G-O. Let's talk to Nick Delatore. get the insight on the Gators now.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wake up, board chat. Welcome back, everybody. Presented by the Corner Pocket Bar and Grill. Vitamin Energy helping out every now and then, too. We've got Nick Delatore from Gators Online joining us here. Nick, we appreciate you being here. Big game coming up. Bowl game on the line for the Gators. Playoff hopes staying intact for the Seminoles, just the way we all thought. Um, crazy that we're here. I'm sure there was a moment, like, at 7.15 p.m. or something, we you know, Florida fans, you know, maybe deep down, places they don't want to talk about parties. We're like, man, Jordan Travis is out. That's a bummer, but like that really helps us out. We maybe actually have this game. I think maybe part of me was a little bit nervous too, seeing Jordan Travis go down, thinking, man, this this Florida game now is is a toss up for sure. But then Graham Mertz goes down. Is there any silver lining for you? We've been talking about it all week here in Tallahassee about trying to find a silver lining to Tate Ron America being the starting quarterback. Are there real ones for Florida fans and Max Brown? Yeah, I, th- I think there really are. Um, it's kind of like Freaky Friday. Um, Florida and Florida State have switched places. Florida had a pocket pass for quarterback in Graham Mertz, and Jordan Travis ran for a quarter mile last year against Florida. Uh, and now two injuries happen. Max Brown is athletic, uh, and, and Tate Roadmaker uh, is more of a pocket passer. So it's kind of like the roles have reversed. And when I look at Billy Napier's offense, his best offense at Louisiana – had Levi Lewis, who was uh, a mobile quarterback, a dual threat. And, and I think Florida, when you look at the guys that are recruiting, sp- specifically DJ Lagway, that's what Billy Napier feels comfortable with as a play caller. Um, it's certainly a downgrade in terms of passer, uh, but I think if Florida can just keep the Seminoles honest enough with, with Max Brown throwing, that it opens up a whole new dimension for their offense, just what he's able to do with his legs. What kind of recruit was Max Brown? Was he like, was he thought of as like the future? Was he uh, just kind of a last minute addition to add depth? I mean, what was the perception of him when he was added as a recruit? It was a, uh, it was a tough battle for Billy Napier's first quarterback commit, uh, had to go up against central Michigan and former Florida coach, Jim McElwain uh, to earn, to earn the flip uh, to get Max Brown. He was a dual sport athlete. He played uh, on the baseball team last year. Uh, He won't play baseball anymore, Um, but no, it was, he was not thought of as the future. It was, uh, you need a quarterback. Uh, Jim, <laughs> um, Billy Napier shows up and, and had two weeks really uh, before early signing period, wasn't able to get a quarterback in that two week window. So Max Brown was kind of the quarterback of the class almost by default, um, but had great stats at Tol- in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where he's from. Um, he, he's accurate. You know, of course that's playing high school football in Tulsa, Oklahoma and not playing division one football. Um, but he's, he's, he's been a guy that has embraced his role. He knew he needed a red shirt last year. Um, and I think it showed a lot about him to be ready, uh, to play against Missouri when he was thrown in, he'd only thrown 10 passes all season, uh, in blowouts before being thrust into a game against a top 10 team on the road. You know, I think you guys are kind of in the part of the rebuild where you're trying to find small victories, things like, well, they they haven't given up. They keep fighting, uh, which I mean, it's, it's a real thing. Um, Fans love to hear that. Well, you know, I mean, how much of that are you seeing? Uh, how much of that is kind of something they're, they're 
going to be able to build? I mean, it's four losses in a row, though. That feels tough. I, have you seen, do you sense like the belief, the buy-in is still there and that maybe the best is to come for this team, at least for this season and, and surprising Florida State on Saturday? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, this is a team that started that five weeks ago was, was five and two um, and, and now need a win to get bowl eligible. Um, you've had three decommitments during that losing streak. So there's a little bit of wavering because I think, I, and the biggest thing I've been telling fans is this was going to be a long rebuild. You fired the last coaching staff because they didn't recruit. And now you're want to fire this coaching staff for losing with the last coaching staff's players. And uh, Florida hasn't had the same kind of success in the transfer portal as a Florida state um, or, or, you know, uh, a USC. Um, so I think the, the plan for Billy Napier was always a four or five year plan of we're going to recruit the high school athlete and supplement with the transfer portal. Um, and that's going, you're going to have to have some growing pains. So we told Florida fans before the year, Hey, there's going to be growing pains. You're going to have to take it on the chin at some point, you know, uh, in, in 2023, that doesn't make the growing pains feel any better in real time. So I think that's kind of where the fans are, but with DJ Lagway, they feel like they have the future, the franchise quarterback, uh, and, and it's a, still a top five class despite the decommitment. So I think most of the fan base um, is still on board with Billy Napier and, and still sees the direction. Uh, and the vocal minority wants to fire everyone, uh, maybe even me, depending on the day. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. <laughs> so I, mean, I guess maybe I'll walk myself through this, but you can guide me, but you know, it seems Florida's got two good running backs in Trevor Etienne and, and Montreal Johnson. They got two good wide receivers and Ricky Pearsall, um, as well as Eugene Wilson. Um, you know, the quarterbacks seem to be coming on a little bit. So it, does it all kind of fall to this offensive line? Maybe not being the, the missing piece that make this a consistent attack offensively. Yeah. The offensive line has been bad. Um, and I think a big part of that is not having any consistency. Florida's had five different starting offensive lines because of injury. Um, and, and that's a position Florida has hats, uh, the offensive linemen that say five equals one. Um, because if you have one missed assignment on the offensive yeah, line, the whole offensive line looks thing. bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, you've had different starting left tackle, different starting left guard, right tackle, center, you, you name it. Um, so to me, I, I don't know. And I question was the offensive line. We talked about how good Florida's offensive line was last year. Were they good or did they just have? a running quarterback in Anthony Richardson making defenses play 11 on 11. Um, this year, you didn't have that in Graham Mertz. The first time he really tried to run uh, and looked like he was possessed by Tim Tebow, he broke his collarbone. Um, so I, maybe that helps the offensive line because now you have to account for the quarterback because he can make you, he can make you uh, or make plays with his legs. So that'll be interesting to me. Um, we're still waiting to see if Austin Barber, who was the starting left tackle, uh, he missed last week with a shoulder injury, seeing if he practiced on Tuesday. He would need to practice Tuesday and Wednesday to be able to play on Saturday. So Florida's on the field as we record this. But if he's out, that would be an, another new starting offensive line for Florida. So the offensive line is definitely the key. But, you know, I mean, you mentioned all of Florida's players right there. Uh, and that's the issue for Florida is you just don't have the dudes. They have two running backs who need the offensive line to, for them to be productive. And then you have two receivers. Uh, and outside of that, there's really no threats that you have to account for. If you can cover Ricky Pearsall, which Florida State had trouble doing in the first half, but figured it out in the second half last year, 
And if you can neutralize Eugene Wilson, Florida doesn't really have anyone else to go to. Is this so much about like scrapping the game plans that have been, you know, in place for a while and, and creating something from scratch mm. with Max Brown and Billy Napier, or is it more like reverting back to what they were maybe week one or what they thought they were going to be earlier on in the season and go back to that stuff? Yeah, well, we thought Florida would be a run the ball behind the offensive line, use that to throw play action because Graham Mertz came in having thrown, you know, 20, 36 interceptions, I think, in his career. He had thrown, you know, uh, a ton of interceptions, turned the ball over, really didn't have any trouble with that. All three of his interceptions were in and out of the hands of wide receivers this season. So as the season progressed, we saw Florida when they got to have, when they had to play Georgia who could score, when they had to play LSU who could score, Missouri who could score, we saw them start to throw the ball more. So yeah, I think we're reverting back to maybe what Billy Napier is even more comfortable calling. Um, we've had a bunch of questions about him as a game day coach and specifically as a play caller. Um, so maybe it's going back to what he's more comfortable with, with, uh, you know, a dual threat quarterback. Defensively, uh, not great. I guess probably <laughs> diplomatic to, to put very kind of you. Yeah. Um, they're going to nineties and in most of the conventional statistics, but although I think the passing efficiency defense is like one twenty something like that. I mean, I think yards per play, not great either. Um, is it a line of scrimmage thing? Is it a youth thing? Uh, a little bit of both, I guess. What, what has just made this defense not really be capable of, you know, getting stops when needed or just keeping this team into, into games deep into fourth quarter? Yeah, the biggest thing is youth. Florida's starting um, at times this year, two freshman safeties, true freshman safeties. Um, they've got true freshmen all over the place. Uh, 35% of the defensive snaps have been taken by true freshmen. That number goes up to nearly 50 when you include redshirt freshmen and sophomores. So it's a very young defense. Um, on the defensive line last year, they just didn't have depth. You had a nose tackle in Gervon Dexter, who's with the Bears now play. Um, nearly 600 snaps. Um, and, and you can't ask someone who's six foot six, 300 pounds to play that many snaps. So this year they don't have the same talent, uh, of like a Gervon Dexter, but they have a bunch of guys. So they were able to rotate those guys and keep them fresh. Um, but I think as the season has gone on, you're seeing one, the, the younger players start to wear down. This is the longest, uh, season that, that they've ever had. Uh, most of them are on, on campus in January. And then you're seeing just some of those guys who have who have played more snaps, like a Cam Jackson and, and a Caleb Banks. They're not getting the same kind of pressure or push that they had previously. So Florida's passing uh, pass rush does a good job affecting the quarterback, but they don't finish. If we look at their sack numbers, they're they're really low, but they get a lot of quarterback hurries and quarterback pressures. Um, I, I would worry would have been extremely worried if if Jordan Travis was playing this game because I don't know that Florida even if they got to him which I think they could uh then all of a sudden Florida plays a lot of man and now you've got guys with their backs turned to the quarterback as, as Travis would have been running all over the place so I think Florida has a better chance against a quarterback like uh Roadmaker than they would against Jordan Travis uh all you have to look is uh two weeks ago at the 606 yards Jaden Daniels put up against them yeah, I kind of misspoke when I was talking about the defense not keeping this team in games of the fourth quarter. I mean, you know, LSU, I think they were up in the third quarter. It was one yeah. possession game early in the fourth quarter. Obviously, Arkansas game went to overtime. They were in that game last week against mm -hmm. Missouri. 
is it a team learning to win? Is there like, does there, is there a black cloud over the team where they just feel like something bad is going to happen at any time? Or maybe that's just like the, the fan base projecting. I mean, they've been in some of these games, obviously yeah. not Georgia, but you know, what's been maybe some of the biggest bugaboos that hasn't allowed that team to close. Yeah, they, uh, they, I think, you know, I thought that I said before the year that Tennessee was a must win game and people were like, you're crazy. It's, he hasn't been here that long. He's not going to get fired. I said, it's, you didn't win a game against a rival last year. And that's the most winnable rivalry game on the schedule. Mm. Um, and I think you needed to learn how to win that rivalry game. When they went on the road to get against South Carolina and won, Florida fans started thinking like, hey, Georgia hasn't been dominant. We can beat Georgia. And I said, no, South Carolina stinks. It was a big win because you learned how to win on the road, which you haven't done. Florida only has two road wins in Billy Napier's first two seasons. Uh, you learned how to win on the road and come back in a game. So you handled adversity on the road. So it's very much a team that is learning how to win, learning how to handle adversity. And you're seeing like baby steps and fans want to see leaps and bounds that would win gold at the Olympics. But Florida is very much learning how to walk before they can run. I think there's a quote that you need to learn how to like lose close before yeah. you can win close and then you can win big. And, and Florida is doing a little bit of both of that. Um, the defense, the, the problem with the defense is they just give up explosive plays. The, the style of defense that Austin Armstrong calls, they play a lot of man coverage, single high safety. They try to bring pressure from other places. And if you're not getting sacks or if, if you're not creating pressure that forces turnovers, bad passes, fumbles, then you're going to give up these big plays. I think Florida's near, near the worst in the country in terms of, um, Explosive plays allowed. I think they have the most 40 plus yard plays allowed um, on the season. And that's going to be a, a symptom of not getting a sack uh, when you bring that much pressure. So it's very much just a young team learning how to win. Um, and, and, and there's been, there's been different ways. I think the only two games they weren't really competitive in uh, were Georgia and Kentucky. And other than that, you can kind of point to things where they kind of, shot themselves in the foot, uh, you know, even at Utah, especially at Utah, having two guys on the field with the same number on. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that one. That was a fun Our, one on the way out, Nick, uh, give me the lead. Uh, if Florida state were to win, it's because, and then give me the counter. If, if Florida were to win, it's because, yeah, I mean, I could see Florida state winning this game big. I could see them winning it close. I think the only way Florida wins the game is, is if it's close. Um, I, I think the biggest thing for, Florida state to battle will be, we don't know what Florida's offense will look like. Max Brown, when I say he's a dual threat, he's not a bad passer. It's not like he has two, two left arms. Um, he can throw the ball. He's got a strong arm. Um, he throws on the run well, um, but he doesn't have experience. And, and then when I look at, uh, at Florida, you're going to have to, uh, I think, stop the run, make roadmaker beat you with his arm. But that's, uh, that might be easy when you have, Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman on the outside against Florida's pass defense, which I think you and I might be able to complete a pass um, on them at points this year. So for Florida, they're going to have to stop the run um, and, and maybe try to figure out a way to pick your poison uh, bracket Wilson or bracket Keon Coleman. I don't know if it matters. Uh, Keon Coleman, I think could catch a pass over King Kong. Uh, he's so good uh, contested with the ball in the air, um, but Florida's going to have to, uh, I think outscore and outpace Florida state, which uh, in the past this year, we've said Florida needs to have long sustained drives, 12 play 13, 14 play drives to keep the other offense off the field because the defense gives up big plays quickly. 
this week, I think you might see more up-tempo from Florida, trying to keep Florida State's defense on the field, run the football at those edge players, um, and, and try to find success in the ground game. And, and we'll definitely see way more run-pass option, RPO stuff, and way more um, uh, just traditional option game from Florida this week, which, they, which is hard to plan for or look at because you don't have any film of that from Florida this year and, and very little last year even with Anthony Richardson because their backup situation was so bad uh, and Richardson had an ankle injury, so they didn't run the ball with the quarterback as much last year either. So that's something uh, that Florida doesn't have on film for Florida State to look at uh, to help prepare. I think the Gators eighth in the country in time of possession, so we'll see if they can stick to that and, and try to be uh, honest to it. Nick Delatore from Gators Online joining us here on Wake Up War Chant. Nick, thanks, man. Thank you. MyBookie.ag promo code is WarChant. Strong promo. 110% cash deposit bonus. They're not advertising it out there to the general public, only to the listeners of this podcast, so that's pretty cool. Uh, use it. Bet responsibly. Live betting. That's a thing. Live casino. That, too, is a thing. Futures. It's all there for your choosing. Florida State. Dropped to number five in the college football playoff poll. Whatever. Get upset if you'd like. Um, I'm not going to begrudge you, but maybe use this negative as a positive. Let's see if their odds have shifted at all. They were plus 3,000. They're still plus 3,000. So if you believe in Tate, believe in yourself. You can bet on Florida State plus 3,000 to win the national title. Six and a half point favorite as well on the road against Florida. That too available over at MyBookie. Use the promo code WARCHANT. We sign up for the first time. Get that. 110% instant cash deposit bonus. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere at mybookie.ag. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So, Aslan, what I'll ask you before we even entertain the idea about injury dropping Florida State, just watching last weekend and seeing Washington escape with a two-point win over Oregon State, you think that Washington would have jumped Florida State anyhow this week? Yeah. Via them winning. I mean, I, I know you say escape. I thought it was like almost like a little bit tongue in cheek, but the Oregon yeah. State's a pretty good team. Weather was a little bit nasty. It was on the road. Um, you know, they kind of, you know, they they got the first down they needed to to salt the clock away. So I just think that stacks up at least recency bias, some more more quality wins uh, than Florida State has had. I think a lot of people might think that the Oregon win that Washington has is more quality than the LSU game. Uh, but I think it's like the recency bias of it more. So it's, you know, that didn't happen last night either, the Oregon win, but that just seems to be at the front of everyone's mind. Arizona's looked pretty good at the Oregon State win on top of that. Meanwhile, Florida State's just kind of really hanging on to the LSU win uh, yep. with Duke looking the way they have ever since uh, they got pummeled in the fourth quarter and Doke on that night. Yeah, it's just one of those things where in the preseason, I, I was the broken record about get out of jail free card, get out of jail free card in September if you go 4 and 0. Didn't expect both Clemson and LSU to amass seven losses combined between the two programs. So uh, obviously what Florida State's defense did to LSU carries. If you ever want to talk and, and puff your chest out about Florida State's defense, I think you start 
with the second half against LSU. But again, that's a three-loss football program. They're top 15 in the college football rankings. Uh, but Washington's resume to me, Aslan, I think, you know, uh, as long as they got out of Dodge last weekend with a win, I think they were going to jump FSU independent of what happens to Jordan Travis. And again, Florida State should still be within striking distance tonight, which is to say big noon Saturday, Michigan, Ohio State, the loser of that game would drop below Florida State. So if you take care of business, you go 13-0, it's going to be right in your crosshairs. I see as the rankings are being released right now that Clemson is back in the top 25. They are now number 24 in the country, just this side of 11-0 Liberty. So uh, the committee says four-loss Clemson, no problem. They're a better football team than Liberty, and Clemson's been on a bit of a run, Aslan, the last couple of weeks. Yeah, big quality winning is that seven and four Clemson team. Well, again, like the, they get the SEC effect almost. So we'll we'll take it though. I mean, Tennessee seven and four, they're twenty first. So um, that about makes sense. It's gonna be crazy that this weekend. Usually, you find yourself. We're not big ACC guys. It's not in our DNA. Anybody watching the show that's an ACC fan, we just don't cheer for each other the way that the SEC does. But like this weekend, you usually do. You want to see Louisville beat Kentucky. You want to see Georgia Tech beat Georgia. Um, you know, especially now you want to see Clemson beat South Carolina, hang on to that spot. And you definitely want to see Louisville take out Kentucky. So they're going to be ranked even, even higher than they are now, possibly. Now rolling into the top 20, Oregon State drops five spots for their third loss of the season. They're eight and three. They're number 16. Notre Dame is at 18. That's another team that Florida State's been looking at, you know, comp schedules like opponents with Duke, uh, with Clemson playing Notre Dame, and then obviously the Ohio State comp earlier. But Florida State's argument has, has weakened. Their stance has weakened. There's no doubt about that. Um, I, I think it's it's fully expected if they go down to number five. I think I would be shocked, Aslan, if they stayed at number four. Would you say shocked is the right word for you? Mildly surprised? If Florida State did not move tonight, where would your where'd your head be? I mean, I, I would say I don't want to say shock because then people might think that that's like me rooting against Florida State or something right. in this situation, but like I'm just trying to be pretty impartial in this. Yeah, I mean, just I think Washington has a better resume right now. I think Florida State with Jordan Travis is a better team than Washington. They no longer have Jordan Travis. Uh, but if they win their last two games, they'll be just as deserving, I think, as Washington to be in the top four when it's all said and done. LSU Washington runs the table. If they, yeah. And if they do, man, that's one hell of a resume. It's impenetrable. Um, even if you do think that that went over Oregon, the first one it was shaky, this would imply that they did it again. Uh, LSU is the top ranked three loss team in the country. They climb up one spot to number 14. So FSU's resume gets a little bit bolstered there as they are making their way slowly into the top 10. They like to do this dance, especially as we get closer to the final ranking. They want to make sure that everybody tunes in. Um, but no, real quick, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt you, but like looking at this right now, your biggest win is number 14 LSU if you're a Florida State fan. Washington mm -hmm. beat number 15 Arizona, and they also beat Oregon, who's going to be top eight probably. So I think like, I don't know, I, I know Arizona wasn't ranked when Washington played them, but I feel like maybe that's, the first of maybe many clues that's going to show that Washington probably jumps Florida State here in three, four minutes when they unveil it. But Louisville, number 10, shout out to the cards. Interesting. Yeah, number 10, uh, Mizzou with that near escape against Florida, fourth and 17, as they call it around those parts, fourth and 17. You know, if you, give, you know, if Florida, if you give up 16 yards in that situation, maybe 16 and a couple feet, you win the ball game, but you gave up 20. And so Mizzou Stays at number nine. There's no change there in the top 10 for number 10 and number nine. Louisville is one win away. If you're looking for style points, if you're Florida State, to bolster the resume. And now I think that comes into play a little bit more. Uh, with Jordan Travis injured, I think that comes into play a little bit more. So if Louisville can beat Kentucky, they will be a top 10 team 
in the ACC championship game next week in Charlotte, which will be fascinating. Alabama comes in at number eight, which means it should go chalk here. I would think seven and six should be Texas and Oregon respectively. Aslan, would would you agree with that? I would expect to see that. Yeah, I don't think Texas has done anything to jump ahead of Oregon unless for some reason they've fallen more in love with the Alabama win, Yeah, which would be weird. Uh, there you go, Texas 7. Texas is no. number 7. Now, I mean, there's there's no way Florida State appears here at 6. I don't think they're going to do that with the injury concerns. So we wait just a couple more minutes for them to roll out number 6. We all expect to see Oregon there, and then it gets down to the nitty-gritty. And Oregon is, in fact, coming in at number 6. So we're about to get to the main event. But Florida State does appear to have one more resume-bolstering opponent in Louisville as we await the top five. You know, Looking at this top ten and what we think the top five is going to be, how many of these teams wouldn't move if they lost their starting quarterback? Like if Oregon loses Bo Nix, everybody falls out of love with them. If Washington were to lose Michael Penix, everybody's off the Washington bandwagon. I think like maybe even Georgia with Carson Beck. I mean, I don't know who his backup is, but I feel like people probably – hang tight with Georgia, probably hang tight with Ohio State and Michigan, but they're going to knock each other out. Uh, it's just Florida State's in a, I don't want to call it a unique position. I just think a lot of teams around them probably wouldn't get benefit of the doubt they lost their quarterback. But too soon to do that right now, I would think. Anything that were to happen right now where Florida State drops, Tom, I think it's because what's happened on the field, resume stuff, and not Jordan. Yeah. But if they don't look great maybe the next two weeks, then you start seeing some of that fairly or unfairly. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good point. Like, so if, for example, Oregon was still where they are record wise, but Bo Nix went down this past weekend, I think Texas and Alabama would probably jump them at that point. I, I think the committee would do that. There is precedent for the committee to use injury to explain away a loss or move a team up. In 2014, Oregon and Florida State were in this very position where Florida State had no losses, Oregon had one loss. And Jeff Long, who was everybody's favorite chairman of the committee, because that's the last time we were really watching these things, said Oregon's left tackle was hurt for a couple of weeks. That's a big deal. So now that he's back, we're moving them up. So there is precedent in the uh, now this is the 10th year of the college football playoff time flies. But there is precedent for injuries to uh, to play a role in here. They usually do this graphic, Aslan, with six teams, one through six, not one through five. But they know what the discussion is going to be this week, FSU and Washington. And now they're doing the excruciating thing where they go from one to five. So number one this week, no surprise, Georgia is in. I don't think we're going to see a change at two or three, right? This goes Ohio State, Michigan, probably. Yeah. Yeah, the Maryland win quality. Uh, but no, yeah, they, uh, <laughs> yeah they're going to keep Ohio State, I think, too, at this point. That, especially Notre Dame still being where they're at. Penn State still what they're just outside the top 10 Penn State for whatever reason. So those two wins more than just Michigan's one win against Penn State. So. I'm sure they're glorifying Georgia right now. Um, there we go. Ohio State two. Ohio State number two. Look, I would drop Michigan down personally. Like I, I would actually prefer to see Washington three, Michigan four in this situation because Penn State's your best win, and you, I mean, the defense counts. Defensive scores count, but you get two safeties and a and a scoop and score on your way to a seven point win over a five win Maryland team. I mean, what resume is that? Washington's resume is far superior to Michigan's resume, but. Okay, we'll see. Number three, indeed, is Michigan. And there it is. Washington is indeed officially number four. Florida State will drop, has dropped, to number five in this week's college football playoff top 25 rankings. I will say again, Aslan, I think if Jordan Travis... <laughs> had Florida State 
Had Jordan Travis finished the game, and it's the exact same scenario where they score 58 straight, I think this still happens. Yeah, I, I agree. Absolutely. So they're gonna they're gonna talk about this like the, it's the weight of the world. I, I don't think it has anything to do uh, with well, it now does, but it wouldn't have had anything to do with an injury. Uh, Florida, if Jordan Travis was healthy, Washington's resume at this point is better. Florida State is within striking distance of the top four. I know that's not the sexy part of the discussion. We want Aslan flipping out. We want Gene Williams flipping out. But to me, this is just kind of a chalk situation. Do we but, have anybody that's going to be able to listen to Norvell's interview that's coming up here? I mean, I, I might be able to, if you and Gene want to carry that, I might be able to plug one of my headphones into my other ear and, and hear what he's saying because he's scheduled to be interviewed on this. So it'll be kind of interesting to hear him talk about it and uh, you know react to the, to the news, which again, I mean, I, I believe, I'm going to believe when he also says like he doesn't care because I don't think he does because he knows <laughs> that they valued the Miami win. I think this committee, Boo Kerrigan said as much. I think they'll value a win at Florida with the backup quarterback. And I think if they can beat Louisville with their backup quarterback, they're going to value that as well. Uh, I mean, I was looking real quickly at Cardell Jones because we keep hearing about that, right? Tom, 2014, Ohio State goes down to their third string quarterback, still makes it to the playoff, ends up winning the national title. Man, he did not look good. He was five of nine against Illinois, two for three against Michigan, 12 of 17 against Wisconsin. And that wasn't great, but that was enough to keep them in the thick of making it to the playoffs. So maybe, maybe Florida State doesn't even need style points. Uh, maybe because other stuff around them will help, uh, you know, bolster their case here in the next two weeks. I think so. I and mean, they just put the graphic on the screen with the two resumes. I mean, it's, it's clear. It's okay. You could be a Noel and say that it's clear that Washington has the better resume at this point. You can also say that if Florida State goes 13-0, and they should 100% be in the playoff. That's my personal take on it. Uh, but uh, let me ask you, Aslan, do you think that if they go 13-0, and it's a lock? Or do you think that it, their shenanigans could be uh, at play here in the next couple of weeks? I mean, I, I don't want to be like, oh, you're an ESPN stooge, Aslan. Uh, you're listening to the narrative. <laughs> I mean, it, it's close to a certainty. Um but I just, I, I'm most worried about the Georgia-Alabama situation where if, if Alabama barely beats Georgia, let's say 28-27 or something, would they think that both those teams are worthy of being in there? And if Washington goes undefeated, they're ahead of you right now. Hard to imagine you'll jump them by you beating Louisville and then beating Oregon. Yep. Um, it, that's That's like that fear that you have. What could make it dangerous, if anything, and I... I Believe this in my heart of hearts. They go 13 and 0, they're going to the playoff. This isn't a discussion whether there are multiple one-loss teams in the SEC. I think I think they're going to be okay. The danger to me is if Texas drops out because I feel like Alabama is held back by that head-to-head -head loss to Texas. There's this barrier that does not allow Alabama to cross into the discussion. But if Texas were to drop one, I don't think they'll do so this week. But if they were to drop the Big 12 championship game, suddenly Alabama is free to climb up the ranks a little bit quicker. And I think that the SEC factor, the respect for the SEC being what it is, a win over Georgia at that point does get a little squirrely. But I don't think even with a win over Georgia, the committee can ignore the head-to-head -head loss to Texas. I think Texas would have to slide up. If I'm a Texas fan and Bama beats Georgia in the SEC championship, I think we have first dibs in the playoff, not Alabama. I, I know what you're saying, and it, it makes sense, but this process doesn't make sense. I would see yes. Alabama jumping ahead. Let's Gene Gene needs to make sense of all this for us. Yeah. Can we, can we bring in can we bring the closer in from the bullpen? Is he ready, Ar? <laughs> all right, Gene. We've been blown warmed you. up. Yeah, you decided you decided to put the headset on. It's time to come in. What do you think about this ranking, Gene? And or do you want to address the uh, the SEC elephants in the room <laughs> with Alabama before we get there? 
Yeah, let's let's wait on that. Hey, look, I don't want FSU fans to get upset at me. I expected this, and I don't have a problem with Washington jumping Florida State in this poll. And I agree, their resume is better. It is. I mean, they've won. Now, I know two of the last three teams they beat are no longer ranked, but they beat three ranked teams in a row when they played them. Um, they deserve that. And it's not really an issue. You know, we get down to the end of the day, the way this thing plays out, if Florida State keeps winning, the issue becomes what happens in the nightmare scenario if Washington wins. And I agree with you, Tom. I, I think Oregon's going to win that. So it makes a lot of this argument moot if that happens. But if Washington does win, and then the scenario happens where Alabama rolls in in the SEC championship game, gets a narrow win over Georgia. And we've seen this SEC bias over and over and over again. And they're going to want to get the two-time defending champions who've been the number one team in this poll in there somehow. And obviously, you've got to put the SEC champions in there as well. And that's where it gets a little, as you said, squirrely, Tom. Mm-hmm. And I know we can say Florida State deserves to be in it. Absolutely, they do. They're undefeated. They're a Power 5 team. They're conference champions. They would have just beat a team we're hoping, again, it would be made even worse if Louisville were upset by Kentucky this week. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, it gets it's... even more squirrely. And I, I don't think, you know, show points or whatever you're going to do is going to matter much this week. Florida beats Gainesville. Down to Gainesville, they win. Everything's great. I do think it's going to matter in the championship game. So you're playing a number 10 because that every all the buzz is going to be on Alabama, again, hypothetically beating Georgia. But yeah. if you go out and you lay a whooping on a number 10, number nine team and win a conference championship and go undefeated, that's going to be a really hard argument to push in that committee room that the team that just had an impressive win against, a, let's say, a number nine team to win a conference championship undefeated, we're going to push them out. I don't think they can do that. I, I, I Anything can happen with this bunch. And I don't know. I'm curious to see what Boo Kerrigan will say here when they talk to him about Washington jumping and all the thoughts and maybe can read between the lines and see if he's trying to set this up for a one-loss team jumping Florida State potentially. I still think FSU holds its fortunes in its own hand. But again, that if that nightmare scenario happens and Louisville loses and they struggle in that game, I'm telling you the door is open for some very upset FSU fans because I don't trust – the committee when it comes to the SEC bias. Well, that's the whole thing. Yeah, I, I think that we can agree, and I'll take some liberties here, guys, but that I'm making a logical argument that Florida State should be in and be a lock at 13-0. and 0. But what Aslan said is correct. This process makes no sense. These people make no sense. Their logic makes no sense. So I could make a great ironclad, watertight argument, and then the committee's like, no, we choose not to. Because it happened in 2014, Gene, as you put it on the channel last week, you know, where that's an undefeated Florida State team. It seems like in, in, in subsequent years, the committee gives credit to reputation as a, as a reigning national champion to other programs in the way they did not to Florida State in 2014, the first year of the playoff, when they were number four entering the final week of the college football playoff ranking. So they pick and they choose. We all understand that. I personally, guys, had to click off the uh, the live screen when I saw Kirk clearly making an argument that people are getting fired up about in the chat. You just see that expression on his face. We, we've all done a lot of broadcasting where it looks like he's maybe taking a side that might be on a script. I don't know. That's an, that's an allegation that I'm throwing out there. But it's almost like he's saying something that he doesn't fully believe in his heart of hearts about teams jumping Florida State. I just that that's the way it felt. So I clicked off that screen. Gene, let me ask you this. And Aslan, feel free to chime in after Gene. 
Do you think they threw Florida State a bone there when they compared Florida State's resume and Michigan's resume? Because I didn't expect to see that after the Washington-Florida State comparison. But there's a graphic on the screen with Michigan and Florida State with the resume comparison, and they're pretty much the same. Do you think that that's a legitimate bone that ESPN was throwing, or is it an empty gesture because they know that the Big Ten game of the weekend is going to, you know, this will be moot by next week anyway? What do you think? No, I was a little bit. I think that was a good sign. And there were some, I don't know if you guys were doing the show. I've got to, I was trying to listen to it. There was some argument about it. And it's a good point was made about they agree Washington with the resume should jump up at the same point. They're making the argument. Why doesn't, if we're going to do that's the criteria, why doesn't Michigan move down? Yep. They beat absolutely nobody. They've looked like crap the last two weeks. They have no business being number three right now. Florida State and Washington have much better resumes than they do. Why are they ranked that high? So here's a situation where the committee is being hypocritical in my mind by not – they're not comparing apples to apples. Or they're doing two different criteria. I don't know what it is just because it's Michigan, I guess, um, why they're getting this resume bump over the other teams. Other than the fact, they beat the crap out of a bunch of bad teams when they were probably cheating in the process anyway. So I, I, other than that, I really don't understand that whole thing. So, no, I was a little surprised they did that, but, I mean, they made some very good points. Which, uh, which shows some of the problems with the committee doing that. I hope that's something they do ask Boo Kerrigan about afterwards. Why isn't why is Washington being rewarded for looking good, but Michigan's not being docked? I mean, yeah. that, that doesn't seem right. Aslan, do you think that it's an olive branch or an empty gesture? What do you think when they put up Florida State next to Michigan on the screen tonight? Opens the door, right? Yeah. Opens the door, but it also, the door shuts on Saturday if they beat Ohio yeah. State. That'll give them all the ammunition they need to, remain wherever they're going to be in the, in this top four. So, um, you know, gave us something good to talk about for two minutes though. So we appreciate the content <laughs> Kirk and boys. Uh, let me ask you guys, just where are we at in terms of if Oregon does beat Washington, Alabama does beat Georgia. Then you get Texas with one loss, Georgia with one loss, Alabama with one loss, Oregon with one loss. In that situation, we feel probably good about Florida state, you know, whoever wins a big 10. Like which? How how would you rank the one loss teams in that scenario, guys? Mm, I'll start. Um, yeah, I think Oregon at, at that point because Oregon has bludgeoned top twenty college football playoff teams when they play them, save for Washington. And am I allowed to look at the game and the way the game played? Should I dock Oregon for their coach being nuts and going for it inside the five on fourth down twice, or being nuts again? and just not punting with under two minutes to go to ice that game away and let his defense play? Or do I give him credit because I think they were actually the better team on balance? I, it, it's a tough call, but I think Oregon's resume outside of the Washington loss is as good as anybody's. I mean, have we forgotten that Alabama had three points into the second half against USF? I mean, have we have we totally yeah, forgotten about that? Of course, that? they're all – they can forget. You should let that and, go. And Texas beat them by, you know, two scores in their, in their own backyard. Um, with Texas uh, – they're always suspect until they until they prove dominance otherwise to me, I, which is interesting. I'm probably, as we do in this particular exercise, talk out of both sides of our mouth. I just think Oregon's the better team. So I would put Oregon ahead uh, of the other two. Uh, if you're saying Oregon, Texas, and Alabama, uh, where would Georgia slot in, though, in that scenario? That's a toughie. I don't know where I'd put Georgia, but I know Oregon would probably be ahead of the pack. I don't think you can have Georgia lose in the SEC championship, yeah. and they still slot ahead of Oregon. I don't think that's fair. Gene, what do you think? Yeah, I think you get in a really slippery slope and an uncomfortable situation where you start putting non-conference champions 
with the same record as a conference champion. That just it doesn't rub right. Those conference championship games have to mean something, and it really wouldn't in that situation. So I agree with you, Tom. I think Oregon obviously would have a win over now what is the number four ranked team and for a conference champion. So, I mean, that, that would have to weigh a lot. So that would go in there just like Alabama, you know, Alabama, same thing. If they were to beat Georgia and be a one loss team, obviously that would weigh a lot too. And they'd be conference champions beating the number one team. So I think in those situations, those teams winning their conference championships with one win are in. Yeah. The issue we have is because will Georgia be given a lot of weight being a one loss team when they're not a conference championship? I don't think they should. I don't think most people think they should, but, Again, we go back to the argument again about how much weight are they going to put on being an SEC powerhouse versus a team that's undefeated without its starting quarterback. Gene, I know you come bearing gifts tonight, and we'll get to that in just a moment. It's not the Christmas season, but Gene is a very giving person, and uh, we're going to tell you about that in just a minute. But I want to get some short answers here before we do that. So your choices are yes, no, it depends. No explanation. It's just yes, no, it depends. If Florida State goes 13 and 0, Aslan, if Florida State goes 13 and 0, are they a lock for the playoff? It depends. Oh, Gene. I, I'm going to go on the odds and say they're in. Okay. All right. It's a yes. All right. I say yeah. yes as well. Uh, that is what we're watching for the next couple of weeks. Again, warchant.com will document every moment along the way. It's not just about football. A uh, basketball got a ranked win tonight. Way to go. Yes. Knowles, they beat Colorado 77 71. Uh, that game took about 74 hours to complete, but the good guys won. Florida State now 4-1 and one on the season. That is 14 straight overtime victories for Florida State. An NCAA record extended. Their last overtime loss was in January of 2018. Unbelievable run. When they get to the extra five minutes, Florida State comes away with a victory. And so as we roll on this week towards one of the biggest games of the year, for me personally, it is the biggest game of the year, the one that always matters the most, Florida State at Florida. I think Jeff would disagree with you. I uh, yeah, at, yeah. It depends on when you were here, man. My undergrad, we didn't, we didn't. It was 2006. 21-14 was the final. That's the closest Florida State ever sniffed a victory over the Gators when I was an undergrad. It was a very sad time. So when you can run it up against them, uh, that's that's what you do. And hopefully Tate Rodemaker and Florida State can do that this week. If they do, they likely will face a top ten Louisville program. If it goes chalk, based upon betting odds. How rocky, Aslan, do you think the road is going to be between now and the final college football playoff selection show, which is just two Sundays from now? This season has flown by, mm. but two Sundays from now, we're going to know where Florida State is playing, uh, if they are in the playoff or they're not. You think this is going to be a bumpy ride, or do you feel the faith as we get into Thanksgiving week that uh, Florida State is going to ride and make it easy over the next couple of weeks? Florida Tate, right? Florida Tate is what we're going to be. Uh, just some things to pass along from uh, the college football playoff show that's on ESPN right now. They did do the chaos scenario where the Big Ten champs undefeated, Florida State's undefeated, and then Oregon beats Washington, Alabama beats Georgia. You know, Kirk said that he would put in that situation Oregon and Texas in, which is crazy to sound to, to say that you're not going to put the SEC champion in. That was that was what? shocking. And they just they're speaking to Boo Kerrigan right now. Um, about Florida State dropping. He said there was no impact at all with Jordan Travis going out. Said quote. Uh, Reese, I got a lot of dudes out there on the field. Um, but he did ask them, you know, have they talked at all about what that could mean for the future, them not having Jordan Travis. And he did admit that the next couple of weeks are going to be important for Florida state going into Gainesville, playing Louisville. So, you know, maybe style points ultimately are going to be a thing. And then he was also asked about whether or not they've had discussions about 
could a one loss team jump an undefeated team? And he kind of had a sheepish grin and said, it's been a lot of active animated conversations, but then uh, kind of took a political stance and said, you know, didn't commit to them, uh, you know, adopting one way or the other on that spectrum. So that's interesting. Okay. So he's saying that style points for Florida state matter is basically what he was willing to infer. Okay. Style points so much as, I mean, is it style points if, if Florida state, you know, you, you can't win 17 to 13 against Florida and, and be on a pick six and a, and a kickoff return, you know, I mean, yep. I don't want to protect these guys. I know we're all after blood and screw everybody involved with ESPN right now, but I, I think we all can recognize that Florida State probably does need to look a certain way with Tate Rodemaker to make you feel like they're a, one of the four best teams in the country and b one of the four most deserving teams to be allowed into this four team playoff. Well, yeah. And Gene, there's, there's pressure on Florida state in that situation because Florida yeah. gives up everything to everybody defensively. So it's not like you're going down in the swamp to face a top 20 defense. And if you get out of there with a 21 to 13 win, you've done your job. Uh, I guess maybe if you can, Gene, can you pinpoint a total that Florida state should cross or a way they should look in order to say on to the next, they, they check the box. They've done what they needed to do. Is there, is there a number you have in your brain? Not for the Florida game so much. Look, I, I really think it's going to come down to that Louisville game and how you're going to look yeah. in that game because, also, I, I don't know, it's his first game down in Gainesville. Uh, you know, you're playing SEC team. I think a 17-13 game would be perfectly fine down there, but it's going to come down to me to the Louisville game. If you win that one, as your hypothetical said, if it's an ugly game, you win that one 17-13, it kind of looks ugly. And then Alabama, you know, we go through the hypothetical again. Out, then I think it becomes a conversation. Then I think you're holding your breath a little bit when those final standings come out. But yeah, if you go, but my point is, on the other hand, if you go down there and Louisville's whatever ranked number ten, number nine, and you blow the doors off against them, you give the committee no option. They have to put mm -hmm. Florida State in. It would look ridiculous if they didn't. So you would push, force their hand at that point. Don't give an option. So yes, and the fact that Kerrigan said that just lends more credence to that. I do think. Style points in the ACC championship game will go a long way to solidifying Florida State's spot in the playoffs, should all those other scenarios play out that way. Gene, it's a bit of an inside joke here, but I know you'll get it. Um, on a scale of a smooth Gulf Stream to a vacation flight you once took with an engine on fire oh. as you landed on the runway, <laughs> how do you feel it's going to be? That's a true story. But folks, maybe for an AWA with Gene, ask him about that flight. And Corey's more afraid to fly than I am, so that tells you something there <laughs> it's on a, why that is. It's a harrowing tale. We were at a, yes. a work lunch, and out of nowhere, he said, yeah, the engine was on fire. I thought we were all – I was Oh, wow. So on a scale of uh, smooth to bumpy, yes. what do you say it's going to be over the next two games for Florida State? Oh, the next two games? Uh, there's going to be some turbulence. Uh, hmm. I'm not going to doubt it. There's going to be some turbulence along the way. I, I just can't, you know, the way this team has played, it's hard to believe they're just, they seem to play down their competition. What I don't know is will they rise up because they know their leader's down. I'm very curious to see how they come out of this game down in Gainesville. Will that offensive line step up? Will that will Adam Fuller's defense? By the way, congratulations being nominated for the Broyles Award. Well deserved for Adam Fuller, who we were talking a couple of years ago, Tom. But is he going to get fired? Mm -hmm. And uh, it tells you just the nature of college foot college sports. Um, you know, will that defense Master rise up? Mr. Atkins is a Broyles guy, so this Nordell yeah. guy knows how to hire coaches. So. Yes, he does. He knows how to recruit. Apparently, too, the number three class. Um, so, yeah, I'm curious. To, I, I think the defense is going to rise up. I think we're going to be a little surprised. Now, they're playing a freshman quarterback, but Florida still has a lot of talent with ATN, those receivers. I mean, they get the job done down there. So I'll be very curious to see 
that to me it'll be the best sign for Florida State. If Florida State holds that team under, let's say, 20 points, mm-hmm. I think that's a very positive sign going forward because the way this team's going to impress me and maybe impress the committee is that defense stepping up. Because as they said, they got a lot of guys on that team. It's not just Jordan Travis. Aslan, I feel like I might know the range by which you're, you're projecting this game to go, maybe in terms of a score prediction. I feel like we might have had that discussion. You think it's going to be bumpy this week? Do you think it's going to be bumpy next week for Florida State as they try to steer this thing home to be 13-0 and to honor number 13? I mean, the talented teams they've played, uh, it's been bumpy, right? I mean, other than LSU, I mean, I guess LSU even was kind of bumpy. Clemson game was bumpy. Uh, Duke game was bumpy. Miami game was bumpy. I mean, I think Florida is going to be a bumpy game. I think Louisville is going to be a bumpy game. There's and there's no, there's no shame in that. Um, you know, you're you're finally playing good teams, and it seems like teams that have lines of scrimmage. Miami did not have a quarterback, and I don't think Florida is going to have a quarterback that they want. Obviously, with Graham Mertz being out, but maybe Louisville is finally going to be that perfect storm that gives you a real nice quality win in front of everybody's eyes late in the season because we know the LSU game obviously happened so long ago. But um, yeah, I mean, I. I I think Florida State probably won't cover against Florida. I do think they'll win. And I don't know what I think the line is maybe early nine-ish points against Louisville. I think Corey was saying on the podcast the wow. other day. I think Louisville keeps it closer than that. Um, but I guess, you know, just win and and do it, have some flashes of goodness in those games. Maybe it doesn't have to necessarily be style like a, a 35 to 17 shellacking, but just moments where you look at that quarterback. If you're these people in this committee that don't see Tate Ronemaker practice every day and don't hear Mike Norvell talk about him and how much they like him, you know, make you believe in what he can be for the team. Coach Norvell's on here, by the way. I'm going to, I'm going to put one in the earbud here. See what he's got to say. There we go. Uh, Gene, you know, there's only two more of these left as uh, Aslan's going to get us a little report of uh, what coach Norvell says. My guess is he's going to skirt the issue. And Gene, I don't know if you watched uh, from the press conference yesterday, it was a good answer from Mike Norvell when Corey asked him at the very end, he said, well, I'm not going to tell you a couple of weeks ago that none of this matters. And all that matters is us. And then when we're in a situation like this, I'm going to put it on a different pedestal. Um, but I think at this point, Boo, uh, Commissioner Boo is telling you that style points do matter. And I think the way, the manner in which Florida State wins matters. I don't know that it would have with Jordan Travis at quarterback, but I think it matters more now how they win, the style of which they, the way in which they win these games, if they can do the uh, 13-0 season and win the next two games. Yeah, that's a weird thing for, yeah, for he goes in again, I like I said, if he goes in that Louisville game and it's playing out the way we're afraid it might play out, what a weird dynamic is that going to be if they have to, they feel like they need to win putting style points. That's a bad situation to be in because, you you know, the goal is to win the game and you're playing a quality team. You could definitely screw some things up because you're trying to make a bigger play or do some, something out of your normal routine in a situation like that again i hope it doesn't come to that you know that that'll be a night game maybe some stuff will be resolved by then and we'll know um i haven't looked at the schedule for next week i don't don't think there's really anything this week that we're other than louisville playing kentucky is there really anything coming up this week that's other than florida state winning in gainesville that we that florida state fans need to worry about i don't think any no they can get helped of course um you know, if there's some kind of stunning upset. Yeah, I don't, you, you really you see Alabama losing to a team that just lost to New Mexico State? No, I think Friday night, Civil War, Oregon, Oregon State's your best hope for something where you start to feel a little bit of breathing room, but there are a bunch of one-loss teams right behind Oregon. So but, I, Yeah, I, does that matter? I mean, yeah. as long as Oregon wins, I don't think that's going to matter. I mean, even if they lose, the, the Washington still needs to win out, in my opinion, for this for Florida State to worry about it. Correct. I think if you're just looking to eliminate one-loss teams that could hop you, if you believe what Kirk Herbstreet's saying, and I don't, 
I don't. I just, I don't. I don't know that he does. Um, I you think, think this is a script? You're convinced he's just trying to. I think it. it I think you the could barrel. play the, the hypothetical game. It's it's borderline WWE, you know, in terms of of making an argument. Uh, but I think if Florida State's thirteen and zero, two Sundays from now, and I think they they I think he has to fly out to Bristol to do that final one, and he's sitting on that desk, he'll say they earned it. I mean, I'm just I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna predict that now. He's gonna say I was you know Tate Rodemaker proved it, and they've earned it. I think that's what he's gonna do in a couple of weeks. It'll be interesting to hear. And the last thing that we'll have before we sign off this evening uh, is a synopsis from Aslan as to what coach Norvell said uh, to Reese Davis and and the panel. But I I think Florida state is still the bottom line here, whether we can get into doomsday one loss scenarios or not, Gene, Florida state is in control of its college football destiny here. It's in control of whether or not it makes the college football playoff because if the offense performs well, all of the other players and on offense are, you know, relatively healthy, getting back healthy. All phases of the game for Florida state have been strong. The reason Gene, that they were above Washington before this week, even though Washington had a better resume was that in, in, in efficiency metrics, Florida state was more balanced than Washington was. Mm-hmm. So if the offense looks good, I don't think the committee's got any choice. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously what you hope there on that. Um, yeah, I, I, again, I, we're going to know a lot, I think, on Saturday. Just ha- kind of how this team comes out, how they look, how that line blocks. You know, Robert Scuppy out there. We'll have Renardo Green back out there to Loach. Is this team – heck, what if Robert Scott goes out there and starts a tackle and plays a whole game? We haven't seen that all season. What if he's back to his his own self? Then to me, and that's got, and they win the game, that's got to send a message to the committee. Like, it, what if Florida State has a running game? Yeah. You know, something we haven't seen all season. There's a lot of variables that could go into this game. You want, We don't know how much some of these guys have been rested for this stretch run. Maybe they're in a position to do that. And how will Tate look? We don't know that either. Will Tate come out and take control of this team and and look good? I mean, the, the benefit is you got a guy. How many teams have the benefit of having a guy that's been in the system for four years, has experience, yeah. has an arm like he has, and then has arguably the two best wide receivers in the nation to throw to? It'll be com- especially in the combination with tight ends he has. So, I mean, it, it the cupboard is not empty by any means, although, you'd, of course, you'd love to have this guy behind me um, out there because he gives you, and I think that's the thing, too, and the committee will never say it, but there's that factor, that X factor of having a guy that's a Heisman candidate, having a guy that's electric. You want to see that guy in the playoffs because that's gonna it's going to do TV ratings. It's going to bring a lot of buzz. So that that's that's in there, too. It'll be interesting. And uh, Aslan, feel free to give the thumbs up after uh, Mike is done and uh, you're back. So no rush. Oh, Joey's finally asked him like seven questions and <laughs> finally get a question about dropping in there. And he said he's not going to talk to the team about it. Uh, they just are looking at this opportunity, controlling what they can control, which is to improve every day. Uh, they are confident in Tate. Kirk asked, what can Tate do? How much does the offense change? And he said, listen, Tate can do everything that we want. He can make every throw that's in our playbook. Um says that they're a football team. They ask him like what the charge is to take to the, what he's being asked to do with the charge of him this coming week is. And he said, listen, the, the charge to our entire football team, we are a football team. Um, and he says that he's so excited about the way they care about each other. And he knows what they're made of. So he remains confident in how they can uh, finish out this season. And it Jane, looks like Reese is wrapping him up. So Jane says, Mike looks pissed. Aslan, your own personal opinion. You, yeah, he's, he's, hey man, he's, he's usually up at like four in the morning. He wants to be in bed right now. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he wasn't his usual bubbly smiling self, but I mean, he's been up working for 
over 12 hours. So I'll, we'll come a little bit of slack there. I don't, I don't, maybe, maybe is peeve, but I mean, he handled the question really well from Joey Galloway, who again, after like five questions about what do you tell your defense? How do you prepare for a backup quarterback that Billy Napier has? Uh, finally is asked about what does it mean to see your team fall down one spot and, you know, just kind of laugh it off. I mean, Joey's like, listen, I, your fans are upset. I'm sure some of your players are going to be upset. Uh, what will you say to your team about the rankings? Like, we're, you know, it's not something we're going to talk about. We're just going to talk about the things that we can control, and that's to take advantage of the opportunity we have Saturday against Florida, which it sounds cheesy and it's so cliche and coach speak, but like that's what should give you confidence if you're a Florida State fan. Is that I, yeah. things aren't changing? Like what we saw at practice Tuesday, that was pretty par for the course of what they do, how they handle themselves. So, um, you know, they they hammer that into their heads to, to be able to handle adversity when it presents themselves. Uh, and he mentioned that in the interview that they've faced adversity on the road and it's prepared them for this game for this moment. So um, he remains confident in what they are and who they can be. Man. The Knowles maybe, just, he's, maybe he's still a little pissed about the uh, the North Alabama trying for a field goal at the end of the game because he did look a little bit more dialed in. When I couldn't hear him. I know you heard Aslan. He looked very more serious than usual. Oh, yeah. like, usually he with us, he's a little bit more jovial, and I've seen him kind of be happy-go-lucky on national interviews. He was completely dialed in and serious yeah. on this one. So, yeah, maybe it's just he's putting on the game face at this point. Yeah. Hey, the one other thing, I, it's interesting to me that's never been brought up, and this is who goes into Clemson and beats them? Yeah. I mean, look at this. All the credit Ohio State got for beating Notre Dame, they couldn't do it. Uh, the Heisman Trophy candidate, maybe the number one or two overall draft pick, went in there this past weekend. He couldn't do it mm. uh, with a ranked team. Florida State sure did. But, again, it, it's, it doesn't seem to get brought up in these discussions when you're talking about resume. At least the win over Clemson this week in the graphic had a number next to Clemson's name. Congratulations, yeah. Tigers. Welcome back into the playoff rankings. <laughs> oh, way to go there. At uh, seven and four, they made their way back into the top 25. Maybe, just maybe, with a win over South Carolina so they can finish their season at a robust eight and four, the Tigers can give Florida State a bit of a feather in Florida State's cap as uh, things close out here. This is a holiday week, a Thanksgiving week, and we want to wish everybody that's watching tonight on War Chant TV or listening to the podcast afterwards uh, a happy Thanksgiving, a safe Thanksgiving. Uh, please arrive where you're going safely and then get back in place to hang out with us for the rest of the week as we prepare for Florida State traveling down to Florida to try and go 12-0 and for the third time since 2013 before we sign off tonight uh, with the holiday schedules. Uh, Aslan, I'll pass the ball to you first in terms of uh, wake up war chant schedules for this week in terms of the pod releases. Holiday week, everybody's got to go spend some time with the family. But uh, what do you guys have in terms of the pod? This week? no days off over here, Tom. No Ooh. days off every single day. Rest of the week, we're dropping pods. Wow, um, this actually probably is the lion's share of the Wednesday podcast. By the way, everybody, so uh, hello for making this far into the podcast. But we got Zach Delatore from Gators Online giving us a little bit of a preview of that. Corey gives us his observations on practice on Tuesday for your podcast on Wednesday. And then we got the two-part mailbag over-unders on the Friday podcast, which you have to be a member of warchant.com to get involved with. And if you win, you get a $25 gift card to the Garnet and Gold. And if you don't win, you're still a subscriber to warchant.com. You get 10% off. But if you're a Warchant Gold member, you'd get, what, 15% off, I think, yes. now? 15. Yep. So That's right. Come there on. it is. Warchant Gold. It's that uh -huh. top tier. Nicely segue. This is why he's a host and everything. This is what Aslan does. He wears lots uh, of hats. He's going to be a photographer this weekend. How about that down in Gainesville, Aslan? Can't uh, wait. Can't wait, G. I'll be by tomorrow, by the way, to pick that camera back right. to practice. Field access. We love that. We love that. Last time uh, Aslan had field access. Wait, did you do it for Pitt or was it uh, Clemson? 
Uh, it was Pitt. Uh, by the okay. way, All-State playoff predictor, Georgia, 75%. Uh, Ohio State, get off my screen, screen, 63%. Florida State, 60%. 60%. All right. Six out of 10 with Tate. That's what they're saying uh, in the in the well, All-State. Alabama, only 23 And then Louisville, 3%. Oh. <laughs> they have eight. That's tripled in a week. They were at 1% last week. I do All remember right. that. Saying, way to go, All-State. So they play you Florida State, it's going to be 9% next week, you're saying. Yeah. I think State Farm playoff predictor would give Florida State a 95% because that's Russ Voorhees. That's our guy from a different program. But I think the State Farm predictor yeah, would say it is. Uh, Noel Cab, thank you for the question. It should be available now. If you go and you click in the top right, your icon, your profile, and when the, the, the second tab on there is subscriptions, go to that. You'll see War Chant. You'll see Upgrade. Click that. Assuming you're a subscriber, you'll be good to go. You can do that right now. If you're not a subscriber, you want to sign up, just go straight to the gold. You want to jump to the head of the pack? You can do that. Just go sign up and put in the uh, code FSU Gold, all one word, and that'll get you. It's available right now for we- for monthly or for an annual. And I'll prorate you to explain if you you're if you're an annual subscriber right now, and you, let's say you have ten months left on your subscription, we'll just prorate instead of it being an, an additional twenty nine ninety five, whatever that my math's not good. It works out to twenty bucks or whatever that would prorate it would be for the rest of the year. And it's 40% off through Cyber Monday. So there's the savings for you. Mm -hmm. I sheepishly will report that the Jeff Cameron Show is taking some time off tomorrow. You you showed him up, Aslan. No, no. I I asked for it. They've been around around a little bit longer. They're the Alabama. They got all holidays off. We're the upstart. We need quality points. Working on Thursdays. All right. Hope you were able to stick with all that going on, thrown at you. Sorry about that. But hey, it's content. It's good. Put into your veins educational, informational, entertaining, entertaining, we would hope. All right, that's a wrap for today's show. Guess what, though? Two more shows this week, because who loves you? We'll be back out of practice, and uh, all those observations will be on the website. Not sure those will make it in time to get onto the podcast for the rest of the week, but it'll all be over at warchant.com. Subscribe. We've got a new tier, Warchant Gold. It's a little bit extra. But there's no ads, none, no ads at all. And you get 15% off Garden and Gold every single day. And you get access to the Renegade Room. I don't, I think I know what's going to happen in the Renegade Room, but I don't think I can tell you. But maybe subscribe to War Chant Gold. For everybody that helped out, for Gene and Tom, thanks to Nick Delatore for hopping on and for Corey Clark and his observations. I'm Aslan Hojavandi. You've just listened to Wake Up War Chant, presented by the Corner Pocket Bar and Grill.